0: Well, good morning. I hope you had a, a good weekend, survived the little bout of weather we had. It's a great day to be a Razorback fan, So, uh, and it's always a good time to be together in the house of the Lord. So, uh, A.J. Jacobs is not a Christian, so he describes himself as a Jewish agnostic. And when somebody asked him, well, what does that mean? In one interview, he said, well, I'm officially Jewish, but I'm only Jewish in the same way that the Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant. And so when you think about kind of that context, he's known for authoring some some pretty interesting books about what he calls lifestyle experiments. And so in his book, The Year of Living Biblically, what he did was he documents where he spent one entire year attempting to follow what he identified as every rule in the Bible. And so he started by reading the Bible cover to cover, and he wrote down everything that he could identify as as a command or or as a rule, and then he tried to live them out for an entire year. And the amazing thing is he did this while living in Manhattan. So you can imagine uh, the challenge just in that in itself. He stopped wearing clothes that were made of, of mixed fibers, right? And so as he found something about that in the Old Testament law, in accordance with uh, the Levitical law, he stopped shaving the edges of his beard, uh, stopped trimming those, and so he ends up with this massive beard that that makes him look like an extra on Duck Dynasty. And so then he refused to shake hands uh, with any woman that he thought might be ceremonially unclean. And then this was one of my favorites. He tried flinging pebbles at people without them noticing in order to stone adulterers. I mean, this was the thinking that he was going through, right? And so his, his point was to try to put into practice everything he could find in the Bible. And so he did this for a whole year. He said it made for a great book, but it almost destroyed his marriage. And so his wife said, you know, if you don't cut this out, I'm going to leave you, right? It drove them crazy. And so I, in my mind, I find a little morbid amusement with this because I think it encapsulates how many people approach the Bible. Or rather, what keeps them from approaching the Bible. They're not sure how, how to take it. it. It can be intimidating. And so even if you believe the Bible, you might feel about it like you do a, a terms and conditions page as you're reading through something you, you've got to sign up for or agree to. And you just flip through, and it's just this endless mumbo jumbo uh, of, of legal stuff. And you're thinking, man, just where, where's the button where I can just click accept all? And so, you know, some of you have tried to read through the Bible, and, and maybe you know you start out really well, a New Year's resolution, uh, but somewhere not too long, you got stuck. Maybe you get stuck in some genealogy where uh, you know a, 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 a Bemish Shazam begets Mel Shizzle, and then you just kind of fizzle out, right? And so it just boggles our mind. Well, in 2020, I am committing to reading the Bible through cover to cover, and I want you to join me. I would love for this to be a a congregational effort. Uh, And so there are some easy ways that we can do this together. And so there is an app called the Read Scripture app that you can download, and it will help you track your progress. It will push reminders to your phone or your device every day reminding you to read. It offers some very helpful videos uh, kind of explaining and expounding on the background of the Bible books and, and time periods along the way. Really fun resources. And if you don't app, that's perfectly fine because there is a website, thebibleproject.com forward slash hashtag study that you can go to. I've made it even simpler than that. If you have the Summers app that you're using right now, there's a link in it that you can click on and get to this same information. And So I don't want this to be about some bucket list accomplishment. I want a bigger purpose for this. Some of you have been doing this every year. I know that. Some of you, have. this has been something you've done for your life. My focus is going to be with us together is to see the grand story of Scripture that's unveiled within these pages. Because when you break it down, the Bible has 31,102 verses, 1,663 commands, 40 different authors, 3,237 different characters you could find within the pages, 31 different guys in the Bible named Zechariah, right? And so yet in all of these commands, all of these stories and personalities, there's really only one story being told, for God so loved The world. That's the story. It's a story of love. And so every character, every genealogy, every command reveals the love of God. Every story whispers His holy intent. And so God has one objective, and that is to live in harmony with His creation, enjoying one another for eternity. So Scripture is this record and this revelation of how He will accomplish this. And so I plan to preach on Sundays from the section of Scripture that's assigned for that week. And, I, and, and around that time, I would say, because it's not going to be exact. Uh, there are going to be times we have things come up. We have guests come in and, and activities coming in that, that will throw us off of, of my preaching schedule. But that we won't always be in sync, but, but there will be times when we are. And I want to involve the whole family in this. This is something that we can do with our children. Regardless of their age, we, we can read to them if they cannot, or we can read with them if they can. And so I don't think there's much, anything better for family or marriage or even self-understanding, you know, your, your sense of self-worth and purpose in this life than knowing your story in this story, how you fit in it. And so in a world that revels in chaos, where, where we experience, uh, you know, we were created by order, We were created to experience and live in harmony in this world of chaos. And so the evidence is is in Scripture. And it's right from the beginning and where we're going to begin today. In Genesis chapter 1, and verse 1, we know that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, so God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning, marking the first day. And so when you look around in our our world, our culture here, North America specifically today, there's this lucrative market that exists because we are people who in our very core, we are seeking order in our lives. We want order, we want organization, we want health, we want creativity, and we, we want neatness. And, and so I'm not saying that we, we that's what we have, but I'm saying deep down that's what we want. That's what we desire. But why is that? It's because the feelings that result from, from disorder, these, these results of chaos, they affect our mood, and they affect our psyche. You can only go so long with that sink full of dishes. Before it bugs you and drives you crazy enough, where you've got to do something about it. Think about how you feel after the fact. That's what I'm talking about. It affects us. Disorder affects us. And so we might ignore it for a while and we may to some degree adapt to that, to this imbalance. But in our DNA, we are beings of order and symmetry and balance. Because after all, the God who created us is the master of order. He created us in His image. And so now the earth was without shape and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. And the Hebrew phrase here, translated without shape or, or, or empty, roughly means chaotic. There, there was chaotic. There was, there was disorder. It was, it was uninhabited. The earth was this barren wasteland where nothing could grow. And so, so it's a place that you would not want to exist. And, and, and back then, when, when these, these tellings of, of creation were passed down through generations, people back then thought of, of deep waters and, and oceans and seas. Those were dangerous places. You do not want to be there. You can drown there, right? You you can't drink the water because of the salt. Deep water is ocean and seawater. You can't drink it because of the salt. And there are dangerous sea creatures in there. And so nobody would want to stake an umbrella on the beach back then. And so in the beginning, there was this chaos, this this disorder. And so every ancient people, it's really fascinating, every ancient people has a similar story, uh, an origin story. And they paint a picture of this beginning of a world of chaos that was uninhabitable. The main difference is in how God changed all of that. In the beginning, God created. And so Scripture goes on some 19 times in the next few verses to point out how God said, or or, or God placed, or God made. It's like a a sculpture who, who would plop down this, this blob of mud and then patiently and, and deliberately shaped that blob into something that's, that's beautiful and, and artistic in its design and work. And so God took the idea of creation in His mind and by His Word, patiently and deliberately shaped it into a beautiful, artistic world. And so this word create in this passage has the meaning of of bringing order to disorder or making something functional that was functionless. And so God designates function for His creation. And He names stuff too. And you think about it, nothing will bring a chaotic kid to order much quickly than a a parent addressing them by their first and middle names, right? There's some authority behind that. I named you this. I'm calling you by that reminding you that I have this authority. right? And so today we use names as labels. But back then, names were significant. They were almost sacred. And so in ancient culture, when you named someone or something, it meant that the, 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 the namer has authority over that which has been named. And the namer bestows significance and purpose to, to the named one. And so we read that God called the light day and the darkness night. And God called the expanse sky. And God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters He called seas. And God saw that it was good. And a little later, He's going to name this precious creation. And So God takes great joy and delight in transforming this chaotic void into the skies and the seas and the stars and the land and the great inundation of living things throughout creation. And so amazingly, in this great variety of creation, it's us who are created in the image of this magnificent Creator And so we mirror God in that we were created to pursue order and to tame chaos. And so that's why there's this deep sense of satisfaction when we've achieved it. God built that into our DNA. And so think about how you feel when when you help someone out, someone in need. Or maybe you've gotten to the end of a busy work week and you've gotten a lot done, you've accomplished something. Or that, that pile of wood has been cut and stacked up neatly or, or all those groceries are put up or the rooms are clean. Think about how you feel when, when things like that happen. Maybe you get a lot checked off your to-do list or, or you put a good dent in your inbox, right? You, and so even the smallest accomplishment in that day can, can stoke this feeling of getting something done that was once undone. It's a sense of bringing order to chaos. And so it's this feeling that comes when you've made a difference and this vast creation, and that the effort that you put out is somehow life-giving for others and for yourself. But here's the thing with our human thinking. See, we consider success when chaos is eliminated. See, we, we spend a lot of time and effort and resources to eliminate chaos. God demonstrates success not in the elimination of chaos, but in the taming of chaos. And so in this swirling love story of our beginnings, God works to counteract all the chaos with order. And so chaos is controlled or manipulated, but it's not eliminated. And the fact that it's not eliminated implies that when God finishes bringing order to creation and He says it's very good, that very good includes chaos. And so it seems the balance between these two is precisely God's intent. So built into the very fabric of creation is this tension in the order that that God created from the chaos that continues to look for ways to upset that order. And so it's this tension that that, that the stuff of life is born from. Without chaos, a seed could not burst forth from the ground, right? It couldn't spring up to provide the grain and, and, and the grape that we shared in communion today. And without chaos, a child could not be born. Without chaos, we couldn't open the earth to, to to fashion a cradle of the grave for our brothers and our sisters who have gone on to their eternal home. And God's story is not only a story of love; it's a story of faith. We read about that in Hebrews chapter eleven, in verse three. There, by faith, we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command, so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. And so being created in God's image then, it's no wonder that we're constantly working to create order out of chaos. And so we see a broken window, we want to fix it. We see someone struggling, we want to help them. And we sometimes have to check our own impulses to, to hoard control, right? At times, or even abuse or, or, or overuse these abundant gifts of God's creation. Or we have to remind ourselves it's good, it's good to unplug <laughs> from all of our order-restoring work at times. Sabbath rest. After all, what do we know? Genesis 2-2, by the seventh day, God finished the work that He had been doing. And He ceased on the seventh day all the work that He had been doing. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it He ceased all the work that He had been doing in creation. So rest is also how we control chaos. And so it's one way that we show that we trust that God's creation will continue without our help. The world is not spinning because of me, right? And so a a Sabbath break, a moment of rest reminds me of that. That God is the one that's got all of this moving, not me. And so we recharge our batteries for the next six days, right? Restoring order where chaos has crept in. But in this this rest, in this break, God didn't sit back. He didn't fold His arms and and, and put His feet up. This doesn't mean that God was tired. The the, the sense here is is that God is conveying His approval of this divine order that's been established. God is, is claiming my purpose for creation has been accomplished. And so the boundaries now between order and chaos have been drawn. And God's creation reflects that order and that symmetry present in the presence of God. If we just open our eyes to His creation, we will see the order and the symmetry that God has put into every fiber of what He has created. And this has eternal implications for us. We can get so fixated on pushing back the chaos, resisting the chaos, that we lose sight of the fact that the chaos was included in God's It is very good proclamation. And so we can find it a challenge to kind of wrap our human brains around that idea because it seems to work against our instinctual understanding of what it means to live as co-creators on this planet, right? To to keep the chaos at bay and to bring light into the darkness. So God's work of taming the chaos continues. And John draws an unbroken line from Genesis 1 all the way to the ink of, of his writing that we know is the fourth Gospel. And that's the Gospel of John. And so John writes, as we read earlier in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. that sound familiar? In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word. Together, right? And the Word was with God. And the Word was fully God. The Word was with God in the beginning, and all things were created by Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and the life was the light of mankind, and the light shines on in the darkness. But the darkness has not mastered it. And so now Jesus has come not simply to help keep chaos in its place to keep chaos behind the boundaries, Jesus has come to eliminate the chaos to finally, once and for all, the Prince of Peace has conquered sin and death, which sealed the fate of chaos. And it's in this aftermath of the chaos of the tomb that we receive our great commission in the Gospel of Matthew today, where we go. Jesus said, go and make disciples of Jesus in the name of the Father. The Father who balances chaos and order who created us in God's image. And go in the name of the Son who came to overcome the chaos of our sin and teach us to obey the law, God's law, by loving God and loving one another. And go in the name of the Holy Spirit who goes on that way with us, rejoicing with us in this joyful satisfaction. And then sometimes bringing that necessary element of chaos into our blind spots. The Spirit does that too. Because we get complacent. And we need to be spiritually shaken awake again. And so salvation is not the byproduct of a lifestyle experiment. Salvation is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God to those who surrender their life to Christ. Because in the beginning, God... And so will you let God speak into your beginning? Will you submit to His Word and let Him bring order to the chaos in your life that's created by sin? This is a journey I want us to go on together is to fully see the depths of God's love for us as we explore His story. The story of Scripture. And you are in that story. Because in the beginning, As Christ and God fashioned this world and fashioned humanity from the dust of the ground, they also fashioned a plan, a determination to live with that humanity forever. But as we're going to see and as we know, we allowed sin to restir the chaos in our relationship between us and God. But because God so loved the world, He sent His only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. God's plan from the beginning. And this morning, maybe you are living in chaos. Maybe you've submitted some part of your life to the chaos of sin. The chaos of Satan in this world. God calls you to repent of that to seek His forgiveness. Ask freely and He freely gives. Jesus Christ made that possible. And when we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, God cleanses us pure as snow, crystal clean in the blood of Christ so that we can begin anew. Not immune to chaos, but knowing that through the power of Christ, we can have victory over the chaos and strength by His Spirit each day to live in the middle of it on this earth. So this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. We're going to have an opportunity to be able to pray for one another, to rejoice in you and your decision to put on Christ in baptism. So in this moment, in this time, and this opportunity, while we stand and sing, will you make your decision today? Lord.